As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, as always. Welcome to our podcast. So today's podcast, we're going to talk about the moral dilemma, okay? Uh, Some kind of internal moral code and how that might apply to your everyday work, because I'm going to give you a scenario that that I can guarantee you almost every electrician, especially if you're a service electrician and that's your primary business, um, that you have run into. And it is, what do you do? What's the moral code? And do you take the high ground? Do you? What do you do? Um, so we're confronted with that all the time. Whether you are new in the trade and you're a helper. And you're doing something and, uh, you know, you're doing whatever the master told you to do or the journeyman told you to do and you're doing it and something doesn't work out right and you're looking around and a screw breaks off, let's say, and you've got two screws in it, but the third one breaks off or one screw in it and the second one breaks off and it's tight, but you're like, oh, crap, I don't know what to do. I don't want to tell him that that broke off one of the screws and, yeah, so I'll just, it's tight, it's fine, it's, it's okay. And you just put it up anyway. And maybe nobody ever knows, and it holds well beyond whatever, and, and you're like, okay, nobody ever found out. Or do you go, oh, crap, that broke. Uh, I need to drill this out and put a new one in and, uh, and fix it and make it right. Uh, so the dilemma comes where will the journeyman or the master that's ahead of the job go, dang it, man, why did you do that? Or you did it? And you feel like, oh, well, I'll never overcome this because now I'll be all forever known as the guy that broke off a screw of a simple application. Uh, or do you? Or if you say, well, if he doesn't know, then he doesn't know. And it looks like I just finished it in quick, quick amount of time. And I mean, all those dilemmas that you'll face 
as an apprentice, as a helper, uh, even as a journeyman who's working for a master or a company. Uh, you're like, you know, you, you'll, you'll hear people use all kinds of terms like, well, I can't see it from my house or, or whatever. And so that brings us into, you know, it's, it's a moral code, a moral dilemma that you have to constantly put yourself into as an electrician. And that is, do I make it right? Uh, in, uh, or, you know, in, in, uh, at the end of the day, it could cost the customer more money that they didn't plan on. Will it cost the contractor more money because of our labor and time? Uh, do we have all the parts? Do we have to replace something or fix something? Uh, all those dilemmas run through your mind. Now, um, I'm going to tell you that in most all cases, um, it's always right to do the right thing. If you think that it's, if it's, you know, okay, so let's start with the National Electrical Code because the National Electrical Code is not an installation standard. It is not. It's a minimum safety standard. So not giving you direction on how to actually install something, although the NEC does kind of walk those lines real, you know, real thinly um, because we do give installation requirements inside of the National Electrical Code, you know, for securing non-metallic sheath cable, uh, Every four and a half feet. I mean, that that's more like an installation thing. But we're gonna we're gonna keep that as a nah, and we'll say that it's just a fine line. And the NEC is not an installation document, just like it says. And what all of us code guys preach that it's not. We're, we're gonna leave it over there in that corner and say no, it's not an installation document. Okay, so it's a minimum safety standard. If you follow these rules, then what you'll have is the most minimally safe structure when it comes to electrical that is that you can get because this is a minimum standard can you go above the minimum standard absolutely we don't want to go so far above that you actually turn that curve and it becomes a safety hazard again Um, so that happens a lot with grounding and bonding Uh, but uh, you can do too much sometimes thinking you're doing a better job and you end up making it worse but for the most part doing the right thing and following the minimum safety standard is going to get you by. And people say, well, I don't want to just get by. But again, it is the minimally safest installation. And that's really what our National Electrical Code is all about. It's not trying to be anything other than a minimally safe standard. Now, plenty of people disagree with that and don't like the NEC and say that it overreaches. I get it. But again, you know, unless you're a part of the process or you're input into the process, then you, all you're really doing is giving an opinion, and you're entitled to your opinion. But again, the opinion doesn't hold much water if the jurisdiction adopts or the state adopts the National Electrical Code as the uh, minimum safety standard for electrical installations. Then you're pretty much bound to follow the minimum standard, and that's the NEC. So we can we can give a lot of lip service to it. But if you, one, don't get involved, two, you don't submit public inputs and public comments, and you're not engaged in it, then you got to pretty much take what you get, right? So we're going to take what we get, and it's a minimally safe standard, like it or not, agree with it or not. So that brings us to, and I'm going to use a dilemma today that's probably encountered by most service people anywhere. Uh, this is probably encountered by... This one incident is probably one that's run into by a lot of people, and we're gonna we're gonna discuss that incident, okay? And I'm not gonna give you advice on how you do it because you have to make that moral determination on how you do this, and you have to meet that threshold of confidence in a sense where you go, okay, I know that this is not gonna be a problem. I know it might not be perfect. 
but I know this is not going to be a problem. Now, this in no way ever comes into a situation where I have to put two screws in and one doesn't go, so I only only use one screw. That's not the kind of dilemma we're talking about. That is just wrong, and you need to do it right. Whether it's tap the hole, you can get uh, hole taps and whatever, fairly inexpensive today to rethread. That's that's not the issue. We all have power tools. We all have the. That's not the problem. That just takes a little time, and you got to get over it. It takes what it takes. We're talking about the dilemma where um, you literally just don't do something uh, because you just don't want to do it, or something breaks and you just don't want to take that time to do it, right? And you don't want to make it right, or you don't even want to follow the minimum standard. Those are the kind of things that we talk about. Okay, so let's kind of let's rather than get it confused in the two different you know types of things. Um, you know, I can never have an example where I'm using two screws to hold something up and only one of them will work and the other one's broke off or whatever that I can tighten to the one and then walk away. That is never going to be acceptable, ever. And it's easier for you apprentices and journeymen uh, and even masters that learn early on in the trade that if something has to be mounted, for example, and it's got three mounting holes, you use three mounting holes. Okay? If you're putting a panel inside the studs, and you're putting the enclosure in there, and it's got four secure points, left, right, top, and bottom, uh, usually up towards the left, top, left, and bottom left, and the top right and bottom right that you screw left and right into the stud. I have seen people only put one screw in the top and one screw in the bottom because the panel was snug in there, and they were fine with that. No, there's four holes there. Use all four holes. Believe it or not, pretty much as an inspector through the years, uh, I've seen just about everything that I can come up with that people will try to cut corners. Uh, I have seen lights that we pulled down, luminaires, that only had one screw holding it up because the other one wouldn't reach uh, or it was broken off or it sheared or something like that. And they like, well, it's tight enough. It's not going anywhere. Okay, that's just one that's obviously lazy, but that, that breaches some kind of internal moral code. You know that there's a reason there's two screws there. You use them. Okay, there's a reason this, this device is designed to be held by two screws. Um, another great example of that would be the switches. I routinely see switches that are put, receptacles that are put in, and for some reason it was installed with sheetrock screws. And you think, that's the only one it would grab. Well, and you have to figure something else out. That's not what you use. It's it, Yes, it'll hold. I'm sure it'll hold. And you're sitting to yourself thinking, Paul, you, you got to do what you got to do. All right, that's where the moral code comes in. You do what you think is adequate, right? And if you think that's adequate, you, you go with it. Otherwise, you, you have to come up with some other some other solution for this application, right? So, anyway, I'll let you decide on that little one there. But uh, I see them all the time, sheetrock screws, and, and, and sometimes you do what you got to do. I get it, but understand that that's not what that box is listed for. To be able to do that, I get it, but I but I understand certain things that people do. But again, we're talking about a moral code and what you actually do. And I can't say that you'll always be perfect, but if you follow it early on in your career and you think about that moral code, then that moral standard that you hold yourself to, do it like you would want it to be done, right? Um, if you're the kind of guy that's okay with one screw to hold in something that requires two screws, okay, whatever, can't help with that. All right, so let's talk about our scenario today because the scenario that I run into today, we see it, 
and it's 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 a good one to discuss, and that is ceiling fans. Big box stores, the Home Depots, the Lowe's, all sell these ceiling fans. Uh, they're readily available. Uh, they're very decorative today. Very, you know, they do add to the look of a room. I, I like ceiling fans, but not all boxes that are in the ceiling are rated to be able to hold the weight of a ceiling fan. And we know this. The National Electrical Code gives us guidance on this. Okay, I mean, it doesn't take us much to look at 314.27C, and that is boxes at ceiling suspended paddle fan outlets, uh, to understand what we really need to do. So I figured the easiest thing first was to, let's cover the code. And the code, here's what we run into. The code is for an installation. Uh, typically, the National Electrical Code is, is new installations, although it is going to govern remodels, retrofits, things like that. Uh, a lot of the things that we talk about in the code is when we say if something was compliant, and we're not going to talk about, I mean, I'm trying to get away from giving you direct advice and let you follow your moral code on this because everybody's going to have a different opinion on this. And so I just want to give you the concept of where we're going with. So it says boxes at ceiling suspended paddle fan outlets. Now here's what the code says. Now keep in mind our scenario is going to be a night. Uh, well, let's say it's a 2000 built in 2000. I was going to go earlier than that, but that's fine. Built in 2000, and they have ceiling boxes. It's a plastic nail up type boxes uh, that are installed in let's say um, I don't know uh, a bedroom. Okay. And, of course, you're the electrician. You're going there to because the customer now wants... Let's even make it more difficult. Not difficult, but more in the fact, the dilemma that the electrician faces is that you get to the job and now they want to put a new ceiling fan up, but you notice there's one already there. So you're thinking, piece of cake, right? You know, an hour service call is probably all it's going to take. Pull the other one down. You pull the canopy off, undo the wires and the ball, and you could probably pull the whole fan down all completely together in less than, you know, five minutes. That that's not you're not taking it apart; you're just pulling it down. That that's the easy part. Of course, the new fan you have to put all the pieces together, the blades on and whatnot. So that takes a little more time. You're talking and jabbering with the customer, you know, keeping them happy. So you know, figure in at least a minimum of an hour. You know, sometimes more if you run into problems. But you're thinking there's a fan there, then you're like, I'm good to go. Then you look over at the wall and you see a single pole switch. And you're thinking, mm, okay, single pole switch, and it's a fan. The fan's got a light kit on it. You're thinking, oh, no, I don't think that that's probably going to be a fan box. Just off of my experience, usually if that's the case, they would have gone and had the foresight to put in a two-gang box. But okay, they didn't do that. All right, you're thinking, uh-oh. So you pull that fan down, and sure enough, it's a simple single-gang plastic nail-up. Now... Is there no electrician out there in the world who can look me in the eye and tell me without 100% that they have never taken a ceiling fan down with a single gang plastic nail up box, tugged on it a little bit and said that it's firm, it hasn't moved, it's been this way for years, in fact it's 2000, now we're in 2018, you're like, dude, that, that thing's been up there for 18 years, it ain't moved, I'm putting it back, it's got 832s in it. That'll hold it. Well, the 832s are designed to hold up to 50 pounds for luminaire, but you have no downward force and no movement, okay? But, okay, it's pretty tight. 
you know, that's, you know, longer 832s, you know, get more surface area in contact with the threads. And you're thinking, you know, I got this. So, but that's your first dilemma as you notice up there and you go, crap. Okay. So it's a two wire, black and white with a bare ground. Um, and you, and you, you know, and you inform the customer that it's the wrong type of box because that's the right thing to do. Some people won't. They just put the other one back up and move on. Okay. Everybody can do what they feel is comfortable to them. That's where their moral code comes in. I can't. Um, but I do have to please my customer. And I do know that it's existing. It's been there. It's, you know. So I, I say to my customer, you know, this was an incorrect box originally to support a ceiling fan. However, I have to throw in the caveat that back when this was installed, it might have been compliant with the National Electrical Code at the time of the installation. Okay. That that the code didn't change probably until 2011 or whatnot. I'm not 100% sure. I didn't take the time to go do the research. But it's um, we had you know quite a few changes in it. And so it might have been, in all fairness to the original installer, it might have been compliant at the time of original installation. But it wouldn't be compliant today. And... Since if it's on the side of a stud, then that's a quickly, I could probably cut the other one out real quick with the reciprocating saw, cut the nails, uh, and, and get that out, um, and put in one of those boxes that fit right in the hole that will, that have designed to screw, whether it's metal or plastic, they make them both now, that'll screw right into the side of the stud, and now, now it's a fan box. And I'm, you know, we're good. Uh, if it's in the middle of Joyce, then you know it might, and I've got access to it. Then you know maybe I can go the cheap route and go with a two by four and take a slip over box, one of the ones that kind of like like a U and slips over the two by four. Put it on there. You know, go up in the attic and center that. I'm, I'm up there very little time if I can get up there and get to it. That's the other thing. Uh, and center the two by four. Take my measurement. Go up there with my screwdriver, uh, my cordless drill, and some long screws, and uh, go up there and center that stud across the opening of the hole and shoot some screws in it, come back down, and then now uh, take my slip-over box, slip it up over the 2x4, and I'm good to go. I'm back in business. I drive my uh, wood screws up through the middle that come with the box, and then I'm ready to hang that box, and we're good to go. takes a little time, but it's right. For a new installation, it'd be right. Or maybe I don't have access to an attic, and I use one of those fancy-dancy twist out kits that look like they're very easy to use online and, and very easy uh, as far as from the manufacturer's perspective but not so easy to install in the field they don't crank out sometimes perfectly or whatever but they, they work i've used them and you put those in there and then it, it expands out and it bites into the the, the joists and uh that's an option and that works for you that's an option too if you can't get to an attic space there's no attic above it. So you have a bunch of different options to bring it up to today's code. Uh, because you're going to be hanging a light back now. And, I mean, a fan. And the fan is, designed, is supposed to be hung. Now, here's where your dilemma comes in. And this is where I'm not going to take sides. I'm going to say, because this is a very unique situation, I'm going to say there is a lot of people, okay, very, very prominent people that I know that will say, look, it was existing at the time of the installation, all I'm doing is swapping a fan for a fan. That's it. And to be honest with you, in a lot of cases, the fan that you're putting back up might be even a lot lighter than the one that was 
there previously, so you're thinking, well, it's even lighter, so it's not an issue. And in some cases, it's not. It's, it's, it's heavier. So the dilemma in the situation is, do I have to go through all that to put the new fan box in it? And if you're going to comply with the code and what you do at the time of your install, now chances are you're not pulling a permit because this is just a, a luminaire change or a ceiling fan change. It doesn't kick into you requiring to get a permit. It might be different wherever you're at, but you know that seems that would greatly complicate the aspect of people that go to Home Depot and Lowe's and just buy a fan and come home and try to do it themselves, and you know they're not going to pull a permit. So I'll let you struggle with that one, but... In our scenario, the electrician gets there, he pulls that fan down, he notices that it's a regular nail-up box, I guess, and then he goes he goes and tells the customer, this is not the right box, that we can get the right box, that I can put this in, it'll take a little bit more time, it might take an extra hour of labor, in whatever your hourly rate is, uh, but, but it'll be done right. Um, and then the owner will have to make a decision. Because the other alternative is, is what do you do when they say, well, look, there was a damn fan there for 18 years. And you go, that's correct. And it didn't come down. That's correct. Um, and maybe even I've had customers that might say something like, was it loose when you pulled the other one down? And more often than not, the answer to that is truthful is no, it was not. It was, it was, it was fine. So you're in that dilemma. And the reason I do this show today is because you have to understand under the moral code, electricians are going to be put in this dilemma all the time. What do you do? Do you do what's right? Do you do what you know? There's a reason why the code has progressed to now require these boxes. So my advice, if I was given advice, and you don't have to take it, and you can disagree with it, I'm sure I'll get my share of thumbs down, That's fine, because I really don't care. I'm telling you my opinion on this scenario. I make the customer aware of it, and I offer to replace the box and put in and meet the code for today. If they choose to not want to do it, now that I've pulled that fan down, because I had to pull it down, I'm in a dilemma that I have to either, I can't walk away and leave it down for most of the statutes that that we revolve around, especially in Texas. What do you do? Do you put the old fan back up and walk away? Well, then you're not going to get paid because that's not what they wanted. Do you put the new one up, possibly, and you make the customer very aware of that, and that it's the way it was before, and it's just a different fan that you recommend putting in the box, but they're the customer. How do you deal with that? Everybody's going to have a different opinion on it. But here's my thing. If I've already pulled down... Now, some people say, well, Paul, you could climb in the attic. And maybe from there you can see what kind of box it is. Okay, that's true. If I can get in the attic. Um, Or you run into a situation where you say, I couldn't tell what it was until I pulled the the fan down. Or maybe even the canopy down. Maybe I can tell by just pulling the canopy down. Um, But you've got to go through this. And then you give your customer the dilemma, and they're going to make the decision. Now, have I ever, ever put a fan up where I've taken a fan down 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And put another fan up uh, using simply the 832s for the nail-up box. Um, I am not a, a bullshit you kind of guy. I have done it. I have done it. And when I was in Virginia, I haven't had looks... Uh, Fortunately for me, the only incidents that I've run into that in Texas, uh, the customer was like, hell, put in the new box. I don't care. And it was in a situation where I had one of the metal bracket boxes. I could cut the other one out um, and uh, pop this one up in there. And then back, the metal box screws right up into the back of it. And it's pretty quick. They sell them at the Home Depots. and low. I mean, it's, it's a quick fix. Um, that was been, that's been pretty easy. The ones that are out... A little bit. I have used a couple of the twist outs before, and the customer was okay with that because they, they want it done right. But back when in Virginia, probably a, a quite a few times back in the, uh, I would say, I don't know early two thousands, probably was even before the code even required these suspended boxes. It was routine for us to do that, and as far as I know, the boxes that the fans are still there. So you know. It's, you know, an 832 can handle up to 50 pounds, but a lot of these feeling fans only weigh, um, uh, and that's a luminaire up to 50 pounds, but a lot of these boxes today, only fans only weigh 18, 20 pounds. That's not real, real heavy. Um, so, and even with the downforce uh, and aspect, you know, because again, boxes that hold luminaires are required to hold a minimum of 50 pounds. I mean, that's already... I mean, that's already given to us in 314.27A2, uh, okay? That, that's already established there. Now, of course, if it weighs more than 50 pounds, then i got to have an independently supported outlet box, and, you know, it goes into that goody-goody. But, all right, so, you know, I, I'm not too awfully concerned about it, but in today, the code, if something were to happen and that fan were to fall... Um, I'm going to give two offers of advice. If you choose to just put it back up because the 832s are there and you felt like it's going to support the weight and it's not a problem and that's a decision that you made, um, make sure that you address the customer and at least you exchange the conversation maybe in an email where they decide to not change the box. Um, and, and that's you know what would be the best way to do it. To, you know, After you do the installation, you do what the customer wants and, and, and then you send them their receipt electronically and you might put in there uh, as a note. I, you know, as we discussed, I recommend that that box be replaced with a a ceiling box that's designed for the suspended paddle fan, and uh, and that you can do that and, and take care of that uh, for them. But that's what you recommend. All right, if they decline at that point, then that's on them. It's not on you. Again, if you want to fall back to the code. 
If it's not a new installation that would have required this at the time of installation, then that's different. Somebody just didn't do it, and your local inspectors didn't uh, pick up on that. Okay, But if it was done during a time that wouldn't have required it, and you're doing a remodel, in other words, you're coming out there just to put one in that was compliant when it was originally installed, and you're putting it back the way it was, then you, I guess you can have some level of confidences that at least you're just doing putting it back exactly the way it was and it was compliant at the time of the installation okay so you have to choose the two um, most companies today are going to say you know I, I'm going to do it with whatever the most current code is and so if I've got to replace that box because you want a ceiling fan there then that's what they're going to go for and that's what they're going to try to do and that's what they're going to try to talk the customer into doing um, because that would be the today knowing what the code is that would be the morally right thing to do but again you offer your customer if they adamantly refuse what are you going to do if you've already pulled the fan down and you notice it's that box uh, and then you tell the customer and uh, and they don't want to go for you to put the new box up what are you what are you supposed to do just walk away you think you're going to pay you for taking that fan down and then leaving them nothing uh so you, you've got to do something for the customer okay so many people, I have known people that have, you know, this actually came from an email. So that's, it kind of correlates and it's kind of why I do a lot of my podcasts when people ask questions. What do I do? What's my dilemma? And that is your dilemma. Do you put it back? Do you put the new one up and walk away? Uh, with the disclaimer that you, on your invoice or whatever that you recommend that it be replaced with ceiling box. However, it was compliant at the time of original installation and you're doing a like for like exchange okay put that on there that might help you out some some states have a like for like uh, clause but again we do know what the code is today and I'm going to read that in a second but we do know what it is today so you're the one that has to struggle with that dilemma on how you address that everybody's going to have their own opinions and that's great okay I'm not giving code advice I'm just telling you that today most of my interactions with it, I'm putting in a new box. Or I'm going to make it so cost effective that they put in a new box. In fact, I might even say, look, um, I'll only charge you for the box. And I will, depending on where it's at, whether it's next to a stud, you know, I might discount that hour that it might take to put that box in or 15 minutes to 20 minutes, whatever it takes. I, if that's what's going to get them to go through with it and let me put the right box in. That's what I do. You don't have to do that. You do whatever you feel morally uh, uh, responsible to be able to do. There's, I am more than sure there are a gazillion ceiling fans out here in the country that are being held by 832 screws on a plastic nail-up box. I am more than sure. Okay, You make that decision uh, how you want to deal with that. But these are the reasons for this show is to make you think and I'm going to have a lot more podcasts like this where I put that moral thought because it makes our field better to think about how you would approach these things rather than wait until you approach it. Your company needs to develop a protocol on how you might develop these dilemmas and your guy gets out in the field. Um, I know some companies that say we don't, we don't have a dilemma. If I look at that box and that box is not compliant to whatever the code is right now and you want me to put a fan up, then it's going to be a... Current code installation. You need a new box. And I'm more than happy to do it for you. Uh, and that's just what it is. And most customers will buy into that. 
And they're like, absolutely, I want what's right. I want what's safe. Uh, even though there's no inspection taking place, I want what's right. I want what's safe. And you do it uh, because the codes have migrated to this because of a safety concern, right? Now, again, do I think that two long 832s in a plastic box that's been there for 18 years and the fan hasn't moved a bunch and you put it back up and there's no cracks in it and everything's good? Because that's your big issue is cracking of the plastic, not so much the threads. Um, and then it ends up just falling down. Um, you're going to have to make that decision. Okay, I'm saying if it's right next to a stud, that's not a big deal. If you got the right box and they make multiple boxes to solve that issue, it's not that big a deal. Uh, that's why you electricians are skilled. We can make this correction. Now, customers don't like to pay, but it is what it is. Okay. All right. So you've made that decision. So now let's say we're in that situation and we're going to install a ceiling fan box. So <clears throat> you've cut out the old one using your reciprocating saw, a vibratory saw, a Dremel, whatever it is. Um, incidentally, I did one not too long ago. And be honest with you, um, the wire, once I pulled the wire, actually I used my Dremel to go up and cut the back of the plastic box out in the center, kind of big hole, so that I could actually, I know it sounds stupid, but I didn't know what was up there and I didn't know what I was cutting into. So I went into the back of the box and I knew it had to come out. I used my uh, camera, a little um, extended camera. You, you know, you, you stick in the wall and look, one of those little extended cams. Not, not, I, don't, I have one, but it's not a real expensive one that allows me to look into the walls. So then I took it up there and I looked in there. It has a little light on it. And I kind of looked around to see if there's any other wires there to be kind of give me because I knew that box had to come out either way. And... That also allowed me to verify that it was right next to the stud. And I knew that it was either way I was going to have to do something. So that's what I did. A lot of times you can actually go in right beside the box. Just a little bit where the gypsum board is. You can make a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a gap there and stick your little eyeball up in there and you can look around. Some cases you get above the attic and you can see it. I'm just saying in this last one I did, there was no attic and I had to, I wanted to see what was up there before I started cutting anything. So I pulled it out, stuck it up through the hole. It's real thin. And I was able, it actually did a great job. It looked around and I could kind of get a lay of the land and see what's up there. Because I don't want any surprises. You know, I don't want to cut that out and then I have to put a bracket up there and then look to see if there's a plumbing pipe there or a duct there. So I take the I take the little camera, I stick the little up there and I put it at an angle and I look this way and then I pull it down. I stick, cur you know, curve it a little more, stick it up in there and look another way and I spin it all around and... Look, I, I always keep a thing of uh, a little thing of a sheetrock mud, a little canister on my truck uh, for those little gaps around the boxes that, that you know that where I might have to stick something in there to look and see, so that I can patch it if you know it's not a big deal. Um, but I mean, I've always got that stuff with me, and so I'm looking around and I notice it's fine. So then I take the Dremel and I, I have a Dremel to actually have the Ryobi uh, spiral cut. All my tools are Ryobi. All the all the haters out there, I know they're not pro tools, but they've been lasting for years, and my brother's used them for years. And I don't care what you say. If it cuts, it cuts. All right. So I uh, went around there and, and was able to do that opening, and then I then once I opened the back of it like that, just a second. It took me a second. Then I put the camera up there again, the little extended camera, and looked around with the probe. Everything looked good, and then I felt comfortable. So I'll be honest with you. At that point, I took my Roby, uh, and I just cut straight across and down one side of the box, straight across, and so I was able to yank out half the box. So then I could actually see pretty good from that 
where my nails were and what it was. So then I was able to reciprocal saw it and cut it out and cut the nails out. So anyway, then I used a replacement metal box that has two brackets and it slides up in there. You screw that in and then the box screws to that. Boom, in and out, done. Uh, and I think all that said took about 30 minutes. And, you know, maybe I'm slower than some, but that's what it took. There's only one wire there, so it was easy. It wasn't like a junction box there. Anyway, I gave you way more information than I need to. Anyway, I replaced that box and I felt more comfortable. That now I'm putting a ceiling fan on there and I don't have a problem. The customer had to pay, uh, you know, additional money. You know, my hourly rate's 85 an hour, so she had paid additional uh, 42 50 whatever. So, anyway, uh, done. Now it's fine. Put it in and I move on. Okay? That's what I decided to do. You make your own decision. Now, when it comes with the sealant suspended fan boxes, outlets... Um, let's read what the code says, 314.27C. It says, outlet boxes or outlet box systems used as a sole support of a suspended, a ceiling suspended paddle fan shall be listed, okay, and shall be marked by their manufacturer as suitable for the purpose and shall not support ceiling uh, suspended paddle fans that weigh more than 70 pounds, Okay. Well, I know that that fan that I installed, just so you know, uh, the thing only weighed 18 pounds because I had looked it up on my phone while I was there, that model, to get the specs off of it. Uh, that was uh, 18 pounds. Of course, I felt it. You knew it was only 18 pounds. Now, the one that was up there before was like 30 pounds. It was heavier. Okay. Anyway, so that was my case. Um, but anyway, it says, uh, for outlet boxes or outlet box systems designed to support ceiling paddle fans that weigh more than 35 pounds, the required markings shall include the maximum weight to be supported. Okay? So, all right. So, the only thing here to remember, the most important part is that you see the 70-pound max, but if that fan box itself, okay, is designed to support is designed to support a ceiling suspended panel fan that actually weighs more than 35 pounds, then they are required to put the marking in it that tells me what the maximum weight is to be supported. Okay, So we go with the 70 pounds, but if they know that the fan, or the box is really designed to hold more than 35 pounds, then it got to, it's going to show inside of it a maximum weight to be supported. Okay? Now, the other thing that's changed in the, in the in the code in the last, you know, not this time, but in cycles prior, were that now it says, okay, it says where spare, separately switched, ungrounded conductors are provided to the ceiling-mounted outlet box in a location acceptable for a ceiling-suspended paddle fan in a one-family, two-family, or multifamily dwelling, and multifamily was added in 2017, it says the outlet box or outlet box system shall be listed as a sole support of the ceiling suspended pedal fan. Now, this is an important one for all of the people that are today roughing in because if I'm running a 14.3 or 12.3 up to that box, but I'm not using it, then it still potentially could be used, so I have to put a suspended ceiling fan or a box that's rated for a suspended ceiling fan. I have to. Now, if it's in a location that's acceptable, obviously if it's a 52-inch blade fan and it's close to a wall where you could not put a fan in it, then that wouldn't be one that would be acceptable for a ceiling fan if it's close to the wall. 
Okay. However, it could be a 24-inch that could fit there. Then it is still considered acceptable for a ceiling fan. Okay. You got common sense will dictate that you can't put a 52 where the blades wouldn't be allowed. But if there's a notion where you're going to run that extra switched conductor or that spare up there, okay, then you're going to have to choose a box that is actually going to be rated to support a ceiling suspended fan. And so that kind of keeps your rough ends um, adequate. So all of the bedrooms, for example, they it, it, you don't have to put a suspended paddle fan up. You don't have to put a fan there. But if I run an extra wire up there or I have a separate switched up there, then I've got to put that box in. Now, if I run a 14.2 up there, then I technically don't have to put by this uh, suspended ceiling paddle fan. But if I've run a 14.3 up there with a red and a black, so that potentially could have the two sw- uh, an additional switched component, then I have got to put a ceiling uh, fan rated box up there. Okay, That's how you look at this. Um, so does that still allow me to put in a regular nail-up light box? Absolutely. If I run a 14.2 to it, or a 12.2 to it, however if you want to run it, then I'm fine. But the moment I run where there's a spare one, or there's a separately switched component, a black and a red, whether I'm using one or not, then I have got to put a ceiling suspended fan box up there that can support and meet the requirements of 314.27C. Okay, keep that in mind as you're roughing in things and doing what you do. Okay. So with that understood, again, we we run into the dilemma of what was existing, what was permitted at one time, and what's required now. So there's two camps again. There's the camps that say, look, it was compliant when it was installed. All I'm there to do is put the fan back up. Okay, that's your choice. The other one says, yeah, I'm putting a fan back up, but the code being what it is today and understanding that if that ceiling fan did fall down today, that places like Texas, for example, would look and say, what's the code today? And you go, well, the code today says it has to be a box that's listed as a ceiling suspended pedal fan box. Okay. It wasn't. You still put the fan up. You can't govern that the fan was up because it was installed during a time it was compliant, but now you pulled it down and now you're installing a new one. Can you legally, not discussing the moral part, but legally put that fan back up? Again, depending on your state and how they look at what's called a like-for-like laws, um, we do know what the rules are today. Um, And so what gets into this also in helping you out is, it's, for example, AFCIs. If you do a panel change and you don't extend any of the brand circuits, that is the requirement of the code today. But if I'm not extending any of the brand circuits, I don't have to AFCI protect them. If I'm not extending anything, I'm not extending the brand circuit. Or if I'm not extending it more than six feet because now we have an allowance in there. Okay, that's an example of what the code requires today. But I wouldn't have to do it if I'm not extending. But that's how that rule reads. The extending or modification of the application, okay? So you fall into that line where 50% of the people would say, no, I am just simply taking a fan down and putting a fan up. 
The other half will say, I'm taking it down. Now it's a fresh. And that box isn't designed to support this ceiling fan. So now I have to change the box. Again, I didn't do this podcast today to make your mind up for you. I'm telling you what the code says. You have to choose that moral compass and determine whether or not you put a new fan up there, whether or not you go through the checklist and go, well, the other fan was 30 pounds. This one's only 18 pounds. It's not nearly as heavy. That box seems solid. Those screws went in good. I'm going to walk away. Or you say, ma'am, um, it's going to take me just a little bit longer, but I need to change this box because it was compliant at the time it was installed, but now it's not. And there's a reason why the code changed, and I don't want to risk the fan falling down on you. I just don't. And I would like to change this box for you. And you'll have to understand that customers, some will agree and some won't because customers are like that. They'll look at it and go, well, the damn thing was there for 18 years. You're just trying to gouge me. Again, you're going to run into all dilemmas. Now, the reason I bring this up is because you need to sit and talk with your guys, if you have people that work for you, how you're going to do deal issues like this and stay consistent. Uh, again, there's easy ways to achieve it. If it's accessible attic, two by four, slip over box, not accessible attic, you got the crank out products that'll crank it out. If it's right next to the joist, you got the boxes that'll screw right up and in. It's two piece bracketed boxes. They make them in plastic as well as the metal. I like the metal ones, but either way, they there are options. Just know that they're option, but it does take labor, and the customer has to be willing to pay the labor. And usually I tell them it's not an option. You you gotta pay the labor. I gotta do it right. For my liability, I gotta do it right. But again, some people argue, nah, those 832s will hold it. You have to make that moral choice. And that's all today's episode was about. Whether or not you are prepared to make the moral choice or whether or not you're okay with it. That's all I wanted to do today is just get you thinking about that. All right, guys, that's it. That was kind of our moral compass moment. Um, again, listen to all our podcasts on masterthenec.com. Uh, also, you can get them from Spreaker, Spotify, a uh, bunch of other ones. Um, or you can listen to them here on YouTube. Um, share it. Let other people know about it. Um, if it helps you, great. If you disagree with something, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. Uh, I'll eagerly await your podcast so I can hear your opinion. Um, and uh, until next time, folks, stay safe. God bless. looking bright every day is another beginning gonna make my move gonna live my dream gonna make my as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.